When I knew my grandpa Bradford was in the last months of his life, I made a special trip back home to spend a little bit of extra time with him, knowing that those few moments might be my last and those few conversations might be my last. And so I was there at my mom's house and I had my mom run some interference with me because grandma was a little smothering of grandpa at the time. And I just wanted some one-on-one time with my grandpa before he died. And so my mom ran interference and I smuggled grandpa out of the house. And this was completely forbidden at this time. But once we got out of the house, I told him that we were going to Sonic for Rip Your Floats and he was giddy, like an eight-year-old boy had snuck out without his mother's permission. And so we went to Sonic and it was one of those moments that was just like photographed in my brain where I'm, I'm never gonna forget that conversation with my grandpa. We're driving along, I'm talking to him about what it was like um, in high school, who his friends were, what, what he liked about that era in his life, what it was like to fight in the war because he fought in World War II and he was telling me some stories some crazy stuff he and his friends did during the war and talked about meeting grandma and falling in love and we just kind of talked about his life and I knew that this was probably one of the last big conversations and so I asked him grandpa like how do you know when you die that you're gonna go to heaven like are you sure that you have a relationship with Jesus and he explained to me who he felt Jesus was and that he had asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins and that he was the Lord and leader of his life. And I remember feeling so much confidence knowing that even though this is my last conversation on earth with grandpa, it wasn't my last conversation. And then we finally got to Sonic and we had our root beer floats and it was just one of those memorable life-changing moments. And now whenever I taste root beer, it brings me back to that moment with my grandpa. And many times when I drive by Sonic, I just chuckle inside and I think to myself about those moments, that conversation, with my grandfather that we had in the car that day. And I imagine that that's what Jesus was probably going for with the whole Last Supper thing. Jesus knew his days were numbered on the planet. He knew he had a few short days on earth with his closest followers. And so he told them, we are going to share a meal together. And he wanted that meal to be memorable, just like I wanted the root beer float thing to be memorable, he wanted it to be something meaningful, something special, something deeply symbolic is what Jesus was going for, something that they could hold onto after Jesus had died, a memory that they would revisit often, and that every time they tasted that, just like every time I taste root beer, that they would think of that moment and that meal that they shared with Jesus. Jesus knew that this would be the last time he would eat and sit down and truly connect with his followers. This would be the last time they had a face-to-face. And so he was going for it. And I think that's what the deal was with Jesus, just like it was the deal with grandpa. And so when we talk about the Last Supper, when we talk about communion, what we're talking about is something memorable and something powerful. And communion has kind of two big points. It's a statement of like intimate connection, like an intimate conversation with a loved one before they die one-on-one, it's about you and them. Communion is that. But also communion is a statement of togetherness. It's personal and it's a group theme at the exact same time. It's about all of us together. Jesus celebrated the Last Supper, which is what we celebrate in communion, in a group. And when he did that, he was actually saying, you're gonna celebrate this throughout the generations. This isn't a one-time thing that Jesus taught his followers to do. This was to be an ongoing celebration of who Jesus was 
throughout the generations for all time. And everything about it was symbolic and everything about it was defined social customs. Like in Jesus' day and age, who you ate together said a whole lot, who you ate together with said a whole lot about who you are. Like high school cafeteria, right? You only eat with the kids you're close with. You, you, don't, find, you don't find a lot of kids cross-clicking at lunchtime. You eat with who you're close with. And in Jesus' day, it was similar. The rich ate with the rich and the poor ate with the poor. The Greek ate with the Greek and the Jew ate with the Jew. You didn't find people of different races and different professions and different levels of wealth eating together. You ate with your own kinds. And if you saw someone eating together with someone else in Jesus' era, similar to in ours, it meant there was a connection between those two people. It meant there was a reason, some type of deep relationship existed or they wouldn't be sharing the meal together. You only ate with your same people. And so Jesus said, we're gonna celebrate this meal together. And in celebrating this meal together, understand and know that we're in this together. And so we've been talking last week and this week about what is 4640, who are we? As we're getting back into our building, we're starting to open again, who are we? And communion is an important part of understanding who we are because we are one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, but we're also in this together as a 4640 family. We're doing this faith thing, this Jesus thing, individually at the same time as we're doing it together. And so when Jesus said, you're gonna celebrate communion for generations to come, and you're gonna have people in the room, rich and poor, black and white, male and female, popular and unpopular, fruta and junction, y'all, you're gonna have all different type of people in the same room at the same time, and you're gonna eat together to symbolize the truth that you are one, that you are family, that you are connected. And God was saying that, Jesus was saying this really matters. This group of people that we're in the room with right now, this isn't a random group of people like acquaintances in Walmart. These are not just people you see at Walmart and never have anything to do with again. Jesus is saying you sit down at the communion table together and you eat this meal together. It's a you and me thing. It's a Jesus and you thing, but it's also a group thing. There's an intimacy that exists between us and Jesus when we do it, but there also is a connectedness between us and each other when we say we are a family and we partake, we eat together of the communion. And so when we, when we go through this ritual, this spiritual ritual, we're supposed to be deeply introspective. We're supposed to be searching inside ourselves and asking ourselves powerful and important questions like, where am I at spiritually? How is God fitting into my everyday life? What, what are my sins that are currently separating me from God? How, how am I treating other human beings? In what ways have I harmed my fellow man? And when we're taking communion and we're preparing ourselves to take communion, these are the thoughts that go on in my mind. Just like when I'm drinking root beer floats with grandpa, I'm asking him, how do you know for sure that you have a relationship. How do you know for sure, Grandpa, when you die that you're going to heaven? We're supposed to take this moment and pause and ask ourselves those deeply spiritual questions. And I can't answer your question and you can't answer my question. We have to each answer our own questions before God. And communion requires that. First Corinthians chapter 11 in the Bible is the section on communion. It says this, 
everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We ought to examine ourselves, search ourselves, and recognize what's broken or wrong and what parts of ourselves we need to invite God into. I love, I love Jesus. And you might be thinking, well, you have to say that, JL, because you're a pastor in this, like, church. And so, you, no, I'm telling you, I really love Jesus. The, the very fact that he would be God himself sitting on a throne of perfection in heaven. And that he would look over the entire planet, over the whole universe, really, and see this little, dusty, dirty planet called Earth. That he would see Earth, and he would look down, and he, and he would see people, humanity, and he would say, even though I'm on a throne in paradise, and I have everything I could ever want, I am missing someone. And that someone is you. That I love Jesus so much because he had it all and he said, you know what? All is not enough for me. I have to go after her. I have to go after him. I can't do eternity, just me in paradise. I have to have these people. And not only did he have to have us, it wasn't I have to have you like I'm a spoiled brat. It was I will give up anything, including all of paradise, to pursue the heart to pursue the hand of that one person. And I love Jesus. I really love Jesus because he gave it all up. He got down off the throne and he said, those people on earth are broken. They're full of sin. They're separated from me and left to themselves. They will never be able to be in paradise. So Jesus risked it all. Risked it all. Took off his royal robes laid down the divine, the part of him that, that, that made him God. He laid down all of that, stepped out of eternity into the limitations of time, out of no body or a heavenly body, into the limitations of a human body. And he said, I will feel pain. I will feel rejection. I will feel hurt. I will feel heartache. I will feel temptation. I will do whatever I have to do to pursue that person. And guys, when I really think about that, I love Jesus so much because Jesus first loved me. And he didn't have much to work with, I'm not gonna lie. I, when I met Jesus, I was a messed up, messed up person. But Jesus chose to be born. Imagine in one split second, holding all power and authority in your hands, and in the next split second, Someone has to change your diaper. He laid it all down and went on a mission. He chose to be born as a human being, live a life of attack and temptation where people would reject and yet refused to give in to any of it. He endured the temptation of every sin, the ones I can't overcome, and he chose to sit down in the dirt of humanity to pursue me. And so when I think about Jesus, I think I love Jesus so much that he would allow himself to be falsely accused of all kinds of crimes. He would allow himself to be arrested 
and beaten and convicted of something he never did. And friends, he could have called, the Bible said, he could have called 10,000 angels just like that and, and asked God in heaven to send legions, armies of angels to come and to swoop him up and bring him back to his throne. But no, he had his eyes on us. He had his eyes on pursuing our heart. And he said, even though I don't have to endure this, I don't have to suffer this, I will suffer this because I am so interested in fixing what's broken between myself and this person. And so he carried a cross and he allowed himself to be nailed to that cross. And I love, I, I really, really love Jesus because of this. Romans 6 says, for the cost of sin is death. When I look at my own life and I really contemplate my own heart, I can see so clearly that I'm a sinner. I'm a broken person who does wrong things and therefore deserves death. The cost of sin is death, but, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I really, I really love Jesus because when I realize that Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And whose blood, whose blood should be shed for my sins? None but my own. And so when I think about the fact that they picked up a whip and they laid it on his back, and I think about how the whip laid in to the flesh of God himself, and I recognize that should be my flesh. That should be my body. That should be my blood that's being spilled out for all of my sins. But instead, but instead of death, it is the free gift of God. Why? I don't know because he loves me and because he loves me so much, I can't help but love him back. And when I think about the spikes that they drove into his hands, See, they thought these spikes would hold Jesus to the cross. They thought these spikes would nail him to the cross, but the truth is that it was his love for me and his love for you that kept Jesus on that cross at Calvary. He didn't need the nails to stay. He chose to stay and he shed his blood so I didn't have to shed mine and he suffered so I didn't have to suffer and he was buried and he fought death and he won the keys to death, hell, and the grave and he rose himself back from the dead on the third day and nothing gets me more pumped up than thinking about what my Jesus did. Nothing makes me go, can, I can't even wrap my brain about the enormous amount of love that Jesus offers when he took those lashes, when he took those spikes, when he took my place. And I love, I love, I really, really love Jesus because it should have been me on the cross. Should have been you on the cross. And so Jesus said, 
When he was gathered at that last meal with his 12 closest followers, he said, I want you to do this meal over and over again through all the generations of Christians for decades and centuries and millennium to come to celebrate this and remember this. And he predicted what was about to happen to him. And it's all recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread. And he said, do this to remember me. Eat this meal. When you taste bread, think of Jesus. Like I taste root beer and think of grandpa. There's this moment that's happening that's sacred right now between you and him and a moment that's happening between all of us in this room because we are family, because we're eating together. We're supping together, the Bible said. We're connected forever in friendship and fellowship and family-ship because we're sharing this sacred meal through the generations. And so Jesus took the bread and he broke the bread and he blessed the bread. And the bread symbolizes his body. So we're gonna bless the bread and we're gonna say, Jesus, thank you that you really loved us, that you loved us so much that you would give your body on the cross for us. We are so grateful. We remember what that means to us. We search ourselves now. We ask ourselves, is there any funk in me that I need to deal with? And friends, if there is, as you examine your own heart, if there is, ask God to forgive you. It doesn't have to be fancy, just simple from your heart, Jesus. Forgive me for the way I talked to my mom today. Jesus, forgive me for what I looked at on the computer. Jesus, forgive me for being consumed with myself. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. And when we confess our sin, when we ask him to forgive us, the Bible says he is faithful and fair to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, not because we're perfect, not because what we did, because what he did and that my friends is why we can eat the bread the symbol of this Jesus who loves us so deeply let's eat of the bread together Corinthians 11 continues it says in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. And so Jesus knew. He knew what the next 24 to 36 hours would be. He knew about the whip. He knew about the spike. He knew that his blood would be shed for all to see. And he said, you know what? I'm okay with the crushing. I'm okay with the spilling, I'm okay with the mess because the shedding of the blood is gonna forgive the sins of mankind. It's gonna forgive your sins and it's gonna forgive 
my sins. And so Jesus, knowing what it would cost him, knowing what it would be, he said, this is my blood. You're not taking it from me. I'm not being murdered by you. This is my blood. And I freely give it. I freely spill it because I'm buying something. I'm buying back your soul from death, hell, and the grave. And the fact that I'm gonna die and I'm gonna rise myself from the dead proves that I have the power and the authority to do this. And Jesus predicted all of this when he raised the cup with the disciples. Jesus, thank you for your shed blood. Thank you that you paid the price, that you forgive my sins, that you heal my mind and my body with your spilled blood, and that you do the same for each and every one of us in this room. We drink now of the symbol of your shed blood. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. So whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And then Jesus makes this crazy statement. He says, I will not drink of this cup again until I drink with you in heaven. He was looking forward to the fact that one day you and I will all be seated beside him at a humongous celebration in eternity and we'll eat with them and we'll drink with them and we'll celebrate what he's done and friends why why do we come to 4640 we come because we as individuals must have intimacy with God we come because we can't have intimacy with God in isolation we have to have our church family this is us individually but us together like we celebrate in communion. Why do we come here? Because we together have to pursue God. I need you and you need me. And when I see you worship, it pushes me to worship. And when I see you pray, it makes me wanna pray. And when I hear you reading your Bible, it challenges me to do better and you to do better because your friend is doing better and we're all in it together because of what Jesus did for us. And so what is our response? What could possibly be the response that you and I have to the cross? What could possibly be the response that you and I have to the cross, to the whips, to the spikes? We can't just sit there and be like, oh, that's, that's nice. Our response, the response that wells up within me that I'm compelled to bring is my worship. It's my praise, it's, it's me getting outside myself and saying, I'm not in control, but you are in control. I'm not God, but you are God. You gave it all up for me so I can give it all up for you. It's my response to him is my worship. And friends, when we really think about what is 4640, who are we? We're pursuing God, it's all about Jesus. We gotta have each other, we've gotta have Jesus, and we are a people who worships in response to all of this. We don't just stand back, we don't just stand by, we pursue Him. He 
so loved us that he came for us. And when we worship, it's our response in coming back for him. And so we have a few moments and what I want you to do is stand to your feet, just leave your little cups laying wherever they're at and just stand to your feet and find some space down front in the gaps, spread out a little bit for your, from your friends and the people that you're with and find that spot. Cause we're just gonna take five minutes, just five minutes and we're gonna find a place in God's presence and we're gonna respond to him because of his response to us he saw us and he came after us. He saw us and he pursued us. And so now we choose to pursue him back in response. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.